This is the Beyond Mission podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. This year, we've been exploring the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament and what we've called a chronogeobiological flow. We've been following the chronology of the book of Acts, which we're to the end of, and then veering off to the people and topics and places, which we are to the end of, that is, in Rome. And so we're, we're finishing up today the, our look at the book of Romans. And so uh, hang on, we're going to do Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. No, we're, we're not going to do all this today because we would be here for days. And, you know, as we were getting ready for to record this podcast, um, Ben, you've been, you've been just talk, telling us, you know, that you're getting a new dishwasher at home. And so all is going to be all is going to be well when you get rid of the the bad one and you get the brand new working. What's going to change about your life with uh, your new dishwasher? Is it going to be a is it going to be a Romans 12 life when you. uh yeah, everything will be made perfect. Though, I mean, oddly enough, I find it therapeutic hand washing dishes. I don't, I don't know why that is. You know, what's crazy is, is that in my former appointment, my first six years there, we lived in a parsonage, and the parsonage did not have a dishwasher, so we had to hand wash all of our dishes. And uh, in January of what year was that? Two thousand and nine. I ruptured a tendon in my left hand uh, playing flag football and like lost the use of my left hand for pretty much a year, which was great with a one-year-old at home. Um, but I learned how to change diapers one-handed, but I also could uh, wash dishes one-handed as well. So I learned a multitude of skills. So now do you just wash, wash with one hand and dry with the other? Is that how you get that going? Yeah, I like to air dry. People believe when they're drying their dishes – you know, with a towel, you know, they, they think that they're dry. Like I want my dishes bone dry before I put them up in the cabinet. And I have yet to meet the person that having hand washed a dish and then dried it with a towel where that dish legitimately comes out fully dry. Yeah, but what if you just uh, dry them with a towel, then you blow on them. That'll dry them, won't it? Yeah, but then like I'm spreading germs, right? And nobody <laughs> nobody wants that. There's there's no. I mean, am I full of hot air? Absolutely, but nobody wants my germs all over their bowls. <laughs> they don't they don't want that stuff. Yeah, our first two parsonages, we did not have a dishwasher. The second parsonage, second church we were at, we got the brand new kitchen like a few months before. We were told, "Hey, we we have a new appointment for you." Of course, hey, what <laughs> I'll say the the, cra- the craziest thing since we're bringing up church parsonages, which I mean, guys could write books on church parsonages. But the funniest thing with this parsonage, and I didn't have to pay the electrical bill, uh, thank God. But uh, but the 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 duct, the air conditioning duct, the 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 guy who had been the pastor before me slept in the basement. And he had cut a hole in the AC duct in the basement so air would flow into the basement. That's actually effective. Yeah, but not for the rest of the house. <laughs> it is not energy. It is Look, don't ever do that because it is not. It, yeah, it definitely diminishes the energy efficiency in the rest of the house. Sure. And so all of a sudden, somebody, so, somebody, the business administrator of the church is like, your air conditioning bill was seven hundred dollars last month. What happened? And I'm like, I don't know. It's like set at seventy two. It's not like it's down at sixty eight. And then I go into the basement and I realize that oh, there's a huge hole in an in the air duct that 
he had the, the previous preacher had covered had tried to cover uh with the back of a legal pad <laughs> so so the legal pad had shifted and all that air was just pouring in uh to the basement so that, but anyway the legal pad didn't didn't cut it it did it, not it, the basement's already cooler so it must have been really freezing down there with all that uh I guess flying down, but not up. I don't know. That that basement flooded multiple times. Uh, One time I went down into the basement and uh, found two uh, baby raccoons that I had to, had to remove. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, it it was, did you remove them Indiana style or Louisiana style? Was there, what's the difference? Uh, Well, I'm just not sure. That's what I thought I'd explore that. No, what happened was my neighbor at the time, uh, he, was a was a volunteer firefighter and he came over in his like firefighter gear with his firefighter gloves and grabbed one of these baby raccoons and then just went and put it outside and this baby raccoon was so docile you could have petted it and it was just so sweet and then about a week later i found his brother or sister up in like the rafters of the uh of the basement and so i'm like yeah well the other one's pretty docile so so i went and and grabbed my uh my work gloves and I grabbed the back of that sucker's neck and it went ballistic, lost its mind is like <laughs> growling at me, trying to bite me. And so I just grabbed that thing and I was like, just yelled at everybody to get out the way. And I just ran outside with it and uh, threw it out uh, in the yard. That might be an appropriate moment to just look at Romans 12 when it says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Is that? That's right. And, and both those baby raccoons, sadly, offered their bodies as a living sacrifice out in front of my house to whatever car, sadly, ran them over. Cause the it, next was that day, your car? No, it wasn't. The next day, I saw them out in a, in a tree. We, the parsonage is right across the street from the church, which has a, a story for another time, all the fun that that brought. But- they were up in a tree in the in the in the middle of the day, uh, it, in the church on the church grounds, and I'm like, these poor guys are not gonna make it because they don't know that they're nocturnal and they need to go hide out. And sure enough, the next day they were cruising well, they across got the street from their natural habitat, which was which your basement. my basement, right? <laughs> okay, let's let's pick up Romans 12 here, <laughs> and um, it, we'll do anything to keep from talking about Romans because it's. It's hard. I don't know. Maybe that's what we're doing. Romans 12. Now, this is the easy part, though. Yeah, this is good. This is the good news kind of, right? And so so leading up to the, the first word in Romans 12 is therefore. So give me a summary of the first 11 chapters that lead to the therefore. I mean, it's, you know, kind of like. Here, the, the here's big, how, how simple it is. Because okay. Paul actually sum, summarizes it for us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Because God has justified us through the work of Christ, for those who believe in Christ, because we stand justified before God, because we have been received as his beloved children, because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within us that compels us to cry out, Abba, Father, therefore, this is the life that we should live. This is the life that the presence of the Spirit in us uh, inclines our hearts toward, this is the, the life that God, uh, that the love of God can, then compels us to live. Yeah, that's a good word. So let's read that whole section, verse, first couple of verses. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So good, this is a good passage. You know, it sucks in our bodies and our minds and, and living in God's mercy, but the patterns of the world not conforming to the one, but being transformed by the other. I mean, there's, there's a lot that's at play in there. And we picked up on some of those themes a little bit last uh, podcast when we, when we talked about the, the challenge between living in the world and living in the spirit. And those seem to be at play here still a little bit because there is a tendency at times to conform to the pattern of the world. Even for believers, the world is always around us. A lot of people tend to think, it's harder to be a Christian today because the the culture is so anti-Jesus, or whatever they might say, but that's not true. I mean, it's, it's always been difficult to be a follower of God. I mean, do you see much difference? I mean, not that you were alive back in the first century, but I mean, as we look at it and study history, this isn't necessarily an easier time than yeah, there, previous times, right? Yeah, there's nothing new under Art, the sun. Yeah. I mean, that's just reality. The idea that, that people have that things are always getting collectively worse. Um as I kid around, uh I had a professor in seminary, Dr. Bingham, who was a historical theology professor at Dallas Theological, and somebody asked Dr. Bingham one time, they said, Dr. Bang and Dr. Bingham had a real dry sense of humor. And they were like, Dr. Bingham, Dr. Bingham, when did things get so bad? And Dr. Bingham just deadpan just said, in the garden, things got bad in the garden. And then he just moved on. Then just, just mic drop, moved on. Because it's the truth that, that the world is the world. And there's always a, there's always, always has been a temptation to conform to the patterns of the world rather than being transformed by Christ. The concept of being transformed is an interesting one. Uh, maybe it predates transformers. I don't know, but the the idea of being changed into something else is compelling. That that it's not just simply we've talked about this. Every eye closed, every head bowed. You know, say a prayer. It's not just that. That there's a process of transformation in our lives. That that we need to look like Jesus, not like the world. And that's, that was true 2000 years ago. That's true. That's true today in every way. So he goes on and talks about how some of this takes place in verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So it's this metaphor that like a human body has fingers and toes and, and elbows and all kinds of parts to it, that the metaphor for the church, that is the, the believers, is that we are the body of Christ. And so he goes on to talk about how those, those parts work together. And this is uh, also found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's, and it's here in Romans 12, which makes it 
sort of easy to remember and find those. And so he talks about the gifts that God gives us, which is part of, I think, been that transforming process in our lives that changes who we are. And he says here in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, if, you're, if God's giving you the gift of serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then lead diligently. If it is to show mercy, then show mercy cheerfully. I mean, it, it's an interesting thing here. Like, It's almost a recognition. Yep, you, you know you have these spiritual gifts. Now put them to use. Don't look like the world. Look like, look like the, the God who has given them to you and live out the gifts God's given you in, in the world. Uh, you know, he, he's going to some, some trouble here to say not just to receive the gifts, but to actually put them in use. Do you, do you think that's like a, a, it's a dumb question, maybe. I mean, I'd say it's still a problem. Yeah, it is. Maybe the question is like, is, is why? Why do we receive these, these good gifts from God and hide them or bury them? Yeah, I think, I think for some people, sometimes it's the, the lack of recognition or understanding of their own giftedness. And so there's some folks that truly don't, don't see themselves through the lens of what they have to offer or how God has equipped them. And so sometimes it's just drawing that out of people or nurturing those gifts into people, uh, providing kind of a permission structure that allows them to live into that gift, that they get to experience the fullness of who God has called them to be. And then the other part of it, though, is that we live in a hyper-individualistic culture where we are hyper-concerned with the me, 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 rather than the us. And so we look at things through the lens of how does this affect me? How does this impact me, impact my time, impact my finances, impact my life, rather than looking at how has God con- called me to contribute to the us? And so when Paul, you know, one of the uh, verses four and five, Paul says, you know, for just as uh, each one of us or each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body. And he makes this point, and each member belongs to all the others. And so oftentimes, because we are so hyper-individualistic, we are so inclined towards self-centeredness, we don't recognize that what the body needs is uh, for us to be present and for us to live in to God's call uh, upon our lives and that we have purpose within, uh, within the local church, within the body of Christ. Um, but part of it is, I mean, so, sadly, a lot of times folks come to church uh, with the mindset of, uh, of a consumer. And so things are simply seen through the lens of what's in it for me, or how does this impact me, or how is this making me feel, or... Uh, or however we might approach it, but it's, it's oftentimes sadly approached through the lens of the self uh, rather than the whole. Well, he, he takes that concept that you're talking about and drives it even deeper home for us and saying it's about others in the 
next several verses of Romans chapter 12, because he, he, he's here and I say, okay, you've got, you have this relationship with God, so be transformed, you know, the renewal of your mind and the offering up your body, and then he gets into your, your giftedness. But this next part is where you have to really say, do I, do I put others first? Because he says in verse 9, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Here comes the others part. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That's kind of internal to yourself. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. So some of these are about our own spiritual life, prayer, prayer life and patience and hope that we develop. But a lot of these are about, about others. Be devoted to other people, honor other people, be hospitable to other people, share with people in need. He goes on in verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So in, in all of these, these verses, I mean, he really seems to be driving the point home that our life really isn't for ourselves, that our, our faith is not God and me, and we're on a mountain together, and I can live it out by myself, or I, I can even, even be in church, you know, or in a small group or a Sunday school class or, or the pew you sit in or wh- whatever you do, and say, well, I, I kind of exist for myself and my three or four buddies. This is a different kind of community that he's talking about here that has authentic love as its, its core and its foundation to the summary of it would be to live in harmony with one another. I mean, to put others above yourselves. And we see that throughout the New Testament and th- throughout Paul's writings in Philippians, other places where he's uh, it's like other people is almost like a measurement of how deeply you have Christ in you, how, how you treat them, how you relate to them. And if you're, if you're bent toward self, then that's going to show. It, it's all about me, me, me. If you're bent toward others, that will show too. It's about you, you, you. And this is a tension spot, don't you think, for, for believers? Like it's a, it can be a hard one to live into this true nature of, devotion to one another and rejoicing with other one another, being in harmony with one another, uh, showing hospitality to one another, and on and on, is, is counter to our, I live my world my way in the way I want to, and it's really all about me deriving as much pleasure as I can for myself. I mean, there's a, there's a, a tension spot there, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we live in... Uh, in that tension, uh, I think kind of our, again, the, the cultural ethic uh, that, that we live within is there is a sense of the, the kind of hyper-individualized uh, focus and how certain things impact me. And so rather than looking at, am I, am I fully living into this love that I have received through God, this inexplicable love, 
that while I was dead in sin and trespass, God pursued me, Christ died for me. Is that love really conditioning my heart? And if it is, then it leads me to live in community with others. And it leads me to, um, as, the, as I'm increasingly satisfied in the love of God, it leads me to more freely love others, um, to where I'm, I'm more patient with others. I recognize that I'm a work in progress. I recognize that those around me are works in progress. And so there's this uh, sense of patience with others. There's a sense of bent toward forgiveness um, because as, as God has uh, forgiven me in Christ, I'm set free to forgive others. It, it completely transforms the way that we live in community because we see community then uh, more through the lens of growth in Jesus Christ and more through the lens of caring for brothers and sisters in Christ, willing to mourn with those who mourn, willing to rejoice with those uh, who, who rejoice. And in that community with brothers and sisters in Christ, what it does is we learn to live together, as we learn to live in community with one another, it, uh, it works in such a way in our heart that it spills out into the, the world beyond the walls of the church where we're, we're more freely living in harmony with our neighbors, where we are, uh, our hearts are being conditioned in such a way that we are better uh, at loving our neighbors as God has called us to love them. But if we are a people that, you know, any sign of, and, and not to say that there's not a reason to potentially leave a church, there are reasons potentially to leave a church, not, not dismissing that, but if we are a people that when um, we look at the body of Christ through the lens of just sheer impact on me, and that's it, what am I getting out of this? If that's the, the only way that we see things is through the lens of a consumer, then, then at that point we're objectifying the church. We are objectifying brothers and sisters in Christ. And guess what that means? That we are going to consistently objectify others because we will see our neighbor not as someone to love, not as someone to bear witness to for the sake of Christ. Instead, we will see our neighbor based uh, solely through the lens of how does my neighbor impact my life. Okay, that, let's take that, what you just said, to the next level, because uh, these last verses, if we live like this, it, um, it, would, change, it would change the world, I think. It, he started with verse, I'm just going to 14, then we'll skip. Verse 14 again was, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Now, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. If, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, listen to this, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. You know, we might focus like focus on the burning coals part. And say, ha, got you there. But I mean, the the actions there of blessing your persecutors, of not repaying evil for evil, for feeding and taking care of the physical needs of people who have been your sworn enemy is a different way to live. He wraps up in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. If, if I lived like that, if we, the church, really lived like that, the, the world would have to notice the, the, our, our neighbor, but I, yeah, our neighbor in our neighborhood, sure. But I mean, just the, the, the world, the, the neighbors that are, that are near and far would have to notice if we were intentionally blessing people who were mean to us, harsh with us, called us an enemy, told us they hated us, persecuted us. But that's what Paul's calling them to, keeping in mind he's writing to the Romans who lived in the capital city of the Caesar, who was persecuting Christians. And it was a, it was, it was a common practice to uh, make, make life miserable for the believers. And so he's writing to people who live right there and at the headquarters of the Roman empire. And he said, if any, it's the, it's the language of Jesus, right? I mean, turn the other cheek. How do, how do we, what do we do with this passage? It, it's great to read it, to see it, to study it, but what do we do with it? I think one of the things that we do with it is we allow the spirit to take that passage and look at our lives beneath it. Um, because it is, I mean, in some ways it's, it's easy to, to read through the passage and, uh, for many, you know, there's nothing in Romans 12 that should come as a shock to anybody Mm -hmm. who, who's known Jesus for, for any amount of time. I mean, there's nothing there that, that you're going to read and be like, Oh, never thought about that. But the, the, I think the question is, is, you know, how does my life measure up against this? And if my life is not, is not reflecting what Paul is writing in Romans 12, um, the problem isn't the people around me. The problem is me. The problem is my heart mm. relative to my relationship mm-hmm. with Jesus Christ. Because again, there is a tendency toward defensiveness. And so we make excuses. We self-justify uh, behavior oftentimes against how we believe we're being treated by others rather than considering, what about my life? And I think that's where, like, when reading Romans 12, really taking stock of our own lives and how our lives measure up against it um, and, and, and kind of going from there. Because, again, I think one of the biggest struggles that we have is that we have a tendency to excuse our own evil based upon what we perceive as evil, the evil that has been done to us. And God does not make allowances for that because as verse 21 just succinctly, you know, summarizes and captures Paul's point where he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Is that the state of my life? Is that the state of my heart? Is that the is that kind of the ethic by which I'm living life in relationship with Jesus Christ? He opened up this this chapter, and in verse 2, remember it said, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And maybe the pattern of this world is an eye for an eye, and I'll get you back. I'll make your life miserable if you make mine miserable. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
that's a good note to leave it on and to leave the book of Romans. There's a ton more, and we encourage the listener to spend some time in Romans. It is a, a beautiful, rich book that gives us some great insight to what it means to live for Christ in the world. Next time, we're going to return to the book of Acts for the final verses of this historical account of the early church. So we hope you can join us for that. But if you want to uh, learn more, you can go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or find the app, click on the Be On Mission link, and then you can get other podcasts that we've done along the year or the, the, the few that are remaining here. It also has a place where you can do daily Bible readings with devotions and all kinds of things that are part of it. You can also uh, take a look at the sermons, which are on these similar topics from week to week that relate to these uh, similar passages. So we encourage you to do that. And if you want to stay up to date with the Beyond Mission podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may God bless everyone.